welcome back to The Wise Man's Page, the podcast where we read Patrick Rothfuss's The Wise Man's Fear page by page. This is page 527. Before. He drew a slow, deliberate breath before speaking. Quiet is not stupid, he said, his voice flat. You? Always talk. Check, 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 check. He made a motion with one hand, like a mouth opening and closing. Always, like dog, all night, barking at tree. Try to be big. No, just noise. Just dog. I shouldn't have laughed, but it caught me completely off guard. Partly because I thought Tempe as so quiet and passive, and partly because he was absolutely right. If Dayton were a dog, he would be a dog that barked endlessly at nothing. Barking just to hear himself bark. Still, I shouldn't have laughed. But I did. Hespi laughed too, and tried to hide it, which was worse. Dayton's face went dark with anger, and he got to his feet. You come here and say that. Still expressionless, Tempe stood and walked around the fire until he stood next to Dayton. Well, if I say he stood next to him... You will take the wrong impression. Most people stand two or three feet away when talking to you, but Tempe walked until he was less than a foot away from Dayton. To get any closer, he would have had to give him a hug or climb him. I could lie and say this happened too quickly for me to intervene, but that wouldn't be true. The simple truth was that I couldn't think of an easy way to break up the situation. But the more complicated truth was that I was pretty fed up with Dayton myself by this point. What's more, this was the most I'd ever heard Tempe speak. For the first time since I'd met him, he was behaving like a person, not just some mute, ambulatory doll. And I was curious to see him fight. I'd heard a lot about the legendary Adem prowess, and I was hoping to see it thump some of the sullen mutter out of Dayton's thick head. Tempe walked up to Dayton, standing close enough to put his arms around him. Dayton stood a full head taller, broader across the shoulders and thicker in the chest. Tempe looked up at him without a trace of anything you might expect to see on his face. No bravado, no mocking smile, nothing. Just dog. Tempe said softly, with no particular inflection. Big noise, dog. He lifted up his hand and made a mouth of it again. Check, check, check. Dayton lifted a hand and shoved hard against Tempe's chest. I'd seen this sort of thing countless times in the taverns near the university. It was the sort of shove that sends a man staggering backwards off-balance, and prone to stagger and trip. Except Tempe didn't stagger. He just stepped away. Then he reached out casually and cuffed Dayton along one side of his head, the way a parent might swat an unruly child in the market. It wasn't even hard enough to move. The end of the page! Ah, an action sequence. I'm Nick. I'm Jordana. I'm Jeremy. And... I love this sequence because it is an action sequence that tells us about character, which is, of course, the best kind of action sequence. 
Yeah, I would argue that like often when we see action sequences, it causes us to to record less long pages, but we've got actually quite a bit of material to cover here. I just to jump on on Jeremy's thing. I think it should be a rule that all action sequences should advance the story or tell us something about character because there's nothing more deadly in a movie or a book than just like a bunch of meaningless action that just sort of fills the page or the the space. I think that uh, for most writers, that is a rule. That is something you're aiming for with an action scene, just like a sex scene or any other scene. There's nothing wrong with having lots of action scenes, but they should all be advancing something, right? You shouldn't just have one there just for the sake of having one there. And uh, I think this is a critique I have of the, the MCU films is that they often have at least one or two action sequences that I think are extraneous to the plot and that you could probably use that runtime better by actually just having some characters talking instead. But uh, that's not what the executives think put uh, bums in seats. But I think Rothfuss is really good at having his action sequences serve a function beyond just having an exciting physical altercation. And this sequence teaches us a lot about Tempe and Dayton and about like the ADEM way of fighting teaches us all kinds of stuff. I am very charmed by the ADEMic onomatopoeia for the sound a dog makes. That's it's very cute to me. Check, check, check. Yeah, it's definitely not something that I would have thought of, but it feels correct. Yeah, well, in in real life, other languages, uh, animal sounds are often very different than the way that English speakers sort of transliterate animal sounds. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm trying to think of a good example. Roosters. There's a good one for roosters. Okay, I heard this on a comedy show, so I'm probably going to butcher it. But apparently, like somewhere else, the rooster sound is not cock-a-doodle-doo. <laughs> that's, that's, that's all I've got for you right now. I can't remember what the other one is. I've got to look it up while we're talking. But I, I know the rooster sound has like another version elsewhere. And also, roosters don't actually sound like cock-a-doodle-doo. I don't know, so I don't know why we say that. That doesn't make any sense. I mean, they do. It's just an abstraction. Don't make me make a rooster sound on the air to demonstrate. Do it. It's like how, you know, growing up, they told me dogs said bow wow. And I have never in my life heard a dog say bow wow. But it's just sort of like the way that, as you say, it's been abstracted. Uh, I was always really struck uh, reading Tintin comics as a kid because Snowy's barks were always uh, spelled as woe, like W-O-A-H, woe, woe. Mm-hmm. Uh, which to me didn't sound like a dog sound, but then when you think about it, or if you actually listen to a dog barking, especially a little dog like that, that's exactly what my my downstairs neighbor's dog sounds like. I found the rooster sound. Are you guys ready for the rooster sound? Please, Jordana, lay the rooster sound on us. So in Spanish, instead of cockadoodle do, I actually think theirs is more accurate, but it's kiki riki. Yep. Feel, feels like a little closer like not neither onomatopoeia really feels like it fits but like a little closer well you can see why how they are if you think about what a rooster sounds like you can hear how both languages arrived at that sound yes to get back to tempe for a sec quoth says tempe looks up at dayton with no bravado no mocking smile nothing and then tempe says softly with no particular inflection big noise dog check 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 and that 
is so menacing to me. Saying something softly and comparing someone to a dog, that is inviting a fight. That is bravado. That's like, bring it on, you little worm, you nothing, you you junkyard dog. Like, he is demonstrating bravado. He's just not doing it with his face. Yeah, well, like you say, Jeremy, we're learning, we're learning a lot about Tempe. Like, Tempe is obviously also fed up with Dayton, and he won't... Uh, he won't let his honor be besmirched. Uh, he won't let him talk talk mm-hmm. down to him or besmirch his fighting prowess. And he's also not scared. Like he has just bravado, but it's not. It might also be cultural. It might be like the cultural equivalent of the way that they have bar fights in uh, in Edemra. But he's not expressing any overt aggression in a way that that Dayton or Quoth can really assess besides standing very very close to him he just sort of like picks the words that he'll say that he knows will get a reaction because he's ready to to show data and how a good fighter he is and how little he's worried yeah. about about doing battle with him mm-hmm. it is bravado but it is completely earned bravado he is correct to be confident in his fighting ability because as we will see he does have Dayton's number uh, but he's also observant right like he isn't proficient in the the common language that they all speak but he does correctly understand that Dayton is a big swinging dick who has to demonstrate what a big swinging dick he is all the time and he's had enough of it this is another sort of data point to tell us that Tempe isn't stupid he's just quiet yeah well as as we talked about yesterday and as Quoth finally assessed, he's probably worse with the language than he lets on. He's probably less confident. Um, and so more than anything else, his his quiet, especially when compared to the later Adem that we meet, who are physically equally quiet, but they are certainly more conversational than Tempe is. I think that he's not dumb or simple. He just doesn't have the same language. And as I recall, that's sort of how he and Quoth end up bonding because Quoth teaches him like starts helping him with his language and in exchange Tempe starts teaching him about Adem culture. I also want to point out what Rothfuss is doing to build tension on this page because the page at the top of the page, there's kind of the initial call out of, of like Tempe saying like, you know what? You're, you're just a big bully, blah, blah, blah. And Dayton's response of like, you know, come over here and say that. And then the next four or five paragraphs are don't have any dialogue. They're all just about the body language and about Quoth internally monologuing to us about why he's not intervening and sort of what he's thinking about. And it's all building to this moment of them actually having the fight. And it's really compelling to me because it, this is one of the things that you can do in a book that you can't really do in a, in a movie because we wouldn't get Quoth's internal monologue. We wouldn't have time for it, even if the even if they were using kind of a voiceover, which they don't really do in movies anymore. So this would all happen in a few seconds. But Rothfuss can afford to let time dilate here. Let us sit with the knowledge that a fight is about to break out and then give us a couple of different perspectives on it. Do you know what I mean? Totally. I mean, we also learned something about Quoth here, where Quoth is also, like, he's not above letting violence break out in order to save his curiosity and or potentially punish someone who's been bothering him. 
And I, I don't believe that he can't think of a simple way to break up the situation. I think that it's entirely his curiosity to see Tempe and or see Dayton get beat. Hmm. I do believe him that he can't think of a way, because what would you do? I mean, I'm, I'm quoth. I'm the smartest lad who's ever lived. I can figure out something. If he did, if he could think of a way to break up the fight, then he would kind of be a Mary Sue. Yeah, exactly. No, listen, I, I, I think it's the right, like, I, it, it, I agree with the choice. Like, I also want to see this. Like the, like the readers, all this is built up. Like, we all want to see Dayton get put in his place, and we all want to see the quiet ninja uh, go ham. So this is doing a lot of, of duty here. It's not just Quoth who's eager to see it, it's us. And so maybe uh, Quoth's inner monologue here is kind of putting uh, truth to the desire of both Quoth and also the reader who by proxy also want to see this go down. I, I certainly want to see it go down. Yeah, I want to see the actions. Why don't we wrap up this page? Well, I guess we'll see uh, what the what the little guy's going to do on tomorrow's page. Uh, the wait. wait.